Hello, and welcome back to We Can Do Pod Things. We are so glad you came back for episode two. We're hoping that you came back for episode two. (laughs) If you did, thank you so much. We love you very much. And if you're here for the first time, welcome! uh, An exciting surprise. You have an episode ahead of this one that's waiting for you. Yes. After you finish this episode. You can continue binging your Annalise and Emily needs. Another hour. Come for the love languages. Stay for the first one about anxiety. Anxiety. Um, we are going to start out this episode with giving you just a little bit of background about ourselves, so that you kind of understand where we're coming from, or like with with what authority we speak. Yeah. Um, Quote, air quotes. <laughs> I'm going to let Emily go first. Um. So. I got my undergrad in English with a psychology minor and busted out into the real world only to find that an English degree does not open a ton of doors. (laughs) So I uh, worked in a restaurant for a while, which I feel like every person should have to do before they're allowed to dine in a restaurant. Wholeheartedly agree. Um, And then I went back to school and got my master's in school counseling. And that has been my steady gig for the last, going on 15 years. Holy cow. So So you started that job when you were five? Exactly. Amazing. Precisely. Um, I have been doing it longer than my students have even been alive because I work with fifth and sixth graders. So it's wild. That hurts my heart. I know. It hurts my heart for you. I think about it. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, Emily. Yeah. So um, the moral of that story is I don't bring a lot of actual expertise to the table, but I have tons of opinions. So love it. I'm going to come with the opinions. And at least for today, you're going to bring the actual research. Okay. Because you did research. I did do a little research. Because you were very excited about this episode. And I am Annalise. Uh, My background is... A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Um, I did my undergrad in law and society. You may have caught that on last week's episode. Uh, Then I worked for the Department of Child Service for a while. And then I moved to an autism center where I worked there for almost five years. And while there, I started getting my master's in special education with an emphasis on applied behavior analysis. And then I left the autism center. I worked for the school system briefly, and now I'm a behavior consultant. So uh, most of my experience is in child development and safety, some social work with a heavy emphasis on behavior. So now that you know a little bit more about us, let's get to... Last week's question for listeners, which was, what do you do for fun? Matt wrote in and told us, for me, doing improv is fun. It might be interesting to hear both of your thoughts on if women and men feel differently about their freedom to have fun. I know personally, I sometimes put improv over my family or my kids because that is that important and fun for me. But my wife seems mostly to be setting up fun things for the kids to do and rarely set something up for just herself. A book I read, Find Your Unicorn Space, is about how people need to find something just for themselves and that men have a much easier time doing this than women, mostly because women feel guilty when they just take time for themselves. Thank you, Matt, so much for writing in. We love you. And hot take, I don't think that there's anything wrong with putting your fun ahead of your family or kids or friends or whatever. Fundamental. <laughs> I, I, I mean, obviously everything we do, we, we need to do with balance. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that put your own out oxygen mask on first. You have to take care of yourself in order to take care of other people, mm-hmm. which is what makes the second half of Matt's statement concerning in that women do find it harder to take time for just themselves. You literally said that last week. Mm-hmm. You, you, your fun is watching the kids have fun, but that's not really fun. Yeah. It's hard to tell the difference between fun and enjoyment, but I think there is a difference. Yes. Fun and joy. Mm-hmm. 
there's a difference. I think you can get joy from fun. Enjoyment. Fun and enjoyment. Right. But I like joy because mm-hmm. that's my middle name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah, I think, I mean, there is a distinction between enjoyment and joy as well. Yeah. yeah. And I think historically women have done a lot of emotional labor for men. That's been our thing. That's what we're supposed to do. And that does make it difficult as women who have families at least, or who are in charge of little humans Mm -hmm. to really prioritize ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not, there's not a lot of, there are less opportunities, I think, for women to do it without a big network of support. So my fun is been participating in the civic theater here in town. And I have a great support system. I have my parents. I have my kid's dad and his fiance. Love them. They are always there to catch anything that needs to be caught. We work great as a team, but as a single mom, it can be kind of hard to work around when I have my kid versus when I do my stuff. And when you're involved in a play or a musical or whatever production, that was a lot of nights away. I missed a lot of bedtimes and I felt a lot of guilt, but I knew that it was important because it was refueling my soul. And it's modeling for your child, yeah. right? Like I love that, that. Taking the time to do the things that you love is important. It's worth it. Yes. Such a good point. Thank you for saying that. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, thank you Matt for writing in. Um we love hearing from you guys. We appreciate you. If anyone else has anything else to say about fun, please let's continue this conversation. You can email us at pod things podcast at gmail.com it's also in the show notes now we are also going to start a new segment called what did we decide to call it i don't know if we challenge question i like that challenge quote um yes so this week's quote comes from brandon collinsworth who is on instagram at brandon collinsworth and it's actually a quote by bruce lee And Bruce says, don't speak negatively about yourself, even as a joke. Your body doesn't know the difference. Words are energy, and they cast spells, and that's why it's called spelling. Change the way you speak about yourself, and you can change your life. Thoughts? Initial thoughts? I did this earlier. Just in our intros of ourselves, when I was like, I don't have any expertise about anything. (gasps) You did do this earlier. So... I have complicated feelings about it, and that's why it's showing up in our challenge quote, because I do love a good self-deprecating joke, Mm -hmm. because if I can get to it before you can, that takes your power away. Right. And also, it's just funny, because I know myself better than anyone else. Mm -hmm. But I also really buy into this energy idea, especially as it pertains to being like a self-healer, as... um, Nicola Perro would would say, and in her book, How to Do the Work, she talks about the power of the placebo and nocebo effect and how you can talk yourself in and out of health simply by talking to yourself or making statements about yourself and that beliefs are just practiced thoughts. And it is true. What we say about ourselves, we will eventually believe. I mean, that's why affirmations are a thing. That's why mantras are a thing. Like, this is Buddhism. This is not just something that, you know, was just made up. I also am really intrigued by this where they say they cast, he says they cast spells. That's why it's called spelling. I'm into the whole witchy vibe that that gives. And also just kind of the romanticism of the word. And I'm going to have to think a little bit harder on this because I'm I do generally try to be kind to myself. It's something that I have to work hard on, but it is something that I've been working on. And maybe some of the jokes I tell about myself don't need to be told. Mm -hmm. 
But some, I mean, I'm never going to stop being funny. I can promise you that, dear listener. It's never going to go away. But maybe I might be making fun of myself a little less. I don't know. Something that I'm th- going to think about. Do you feel like a lot of times when you do that, thinking about the audience that is around you at the time? Yeah. Is there, does that trend in a certain direction where you do that around certain people more than other people? Yes, definitely. But in, but for me, I think it's actually, I do that around most around people that I'm comfortable with mm-hmm. because I know that they know that I'm joking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great, I'm mm, going to have to think about that. How about you? Do you notice? I don't know. I would have to set some attention around really watching when that comes up for me. So let's do some research. It does make me want to circle back though to Atlas of the Heart. Yes. Because Brene talks about how important the words that we choose really, really are. Mm. When she talks about even differentiating between saying I'm jealous or I'm envious. Right. Yes. Yes. And how those things seem like they mean the same thing, but they don't mean the same thing. Yeah. And she says that your body reacts differently to those words, which I find so interesting. Because even if in your rational mind, you know your intention behind the word, mm-hmm. your body still reacts differently mm-hmm. to whichever word you use. And that is such an integral piece to emotional regulation is being in tune with our bodies and noticing not just internally, but externally in our bodies, physiologically what's going on. And that's a key to a lot of healing, a lot of past issues too. And where in your body does this lie? Before we start this week's episode on WTF and the five love languages, a couple points of clarification from last week's episode. I had some initial confusion about boundaries and whether that was or was not a part of the anxiety episode. And it was not. It was the second episode. I do remember listening to the first, Mm -hmm. but I don't know what happened to any notes that I took (laughs) on it. So... (laughs) Um, the second episode is about boundaries and it was a good one too. They all are. That's why we're doing this. Mm -hmm. But we chose to do this week's episode on the five love languages because (laughs) I have some major beef with the love languages. Right. I have a lot of feelings about it and I'm sure that shocks the hell out of you. But I just want to share with you before we get started, my personal, before even listening to this podcast, my personal beliefs on the love languages. I think that they are great tools for discovery, but people use them as a Mm cop-out. It's not an all or nothing. It's not, well, this is my love language, and so if you don't speak my love language, then I guess you just don't love me. Mm -hmm. Or I can only feel love if you express it in this specific way. I think that that is limiting and small-minded and again, a cop-out. I think that's the easy way out. And I think it's lazy. It is tempting though, because we're always, I feel like trying to sort of put ourselves into one box. Like I figured it out. Finding an identity. Yeah. Yeah. And I get it now. And so I, I think that that's the temptation. It's not necessarily like, um, maybe laziness, but it's more like, we're just desperate to be able to define ourselves and be known and understood by someone else. And so we want to kind of simplify it for ourselves and for the other person. That is such a generous and well-balanced opinion of that. Yeah. And maybe it's not always the case, but. I think that it comes from a good place though. Mm -hmm. And rather than assuming the worst (laughs) people, it is. It's a both and. Yeah. Um, I Cross think off both and on your bingo card. <laughs> <laughs> we should do some. Oh my god, I'm thinking merch ideas. <laughs> You're gonna be able to have your dry erase marker bingo. Yeah, I love it. Okay, so that's my feelings on the love languages. Have you read the book? No, I haven't either. And I know and that I'm that definitely not gonna read it now. Not now. No, <laughs> I mean, and I know that's like, oh well, if you're gonna have an opinion on it, you should read the book. Look, I've took the test. I've taken the test. I know the general points. Mm -hmm. I know the five love languages. In fact, 
in case you don't know the five love languages. Well, and just so that I go on the record, I didn't show up today with plans to talk about the book. I showed up today with plans to talk about the podcast. That's right. That's right. So if you're looking for a review of the book, go to your library. (laughs) But if you are slightly unfamiliar with the five love languages, I have the perfect meme to explain it. This comes from at on brand Brandon N on Twitter. The five love languages as described by Britney Spears. I just remembered there's a reason why I wore this shirt. <gasps> You're wearing your Britney Spears and shirt. And I couldn't even remember why, but my body, somewhere in my body. It was buried in your subconscious. It was there. Physical touch. My loneliness is killing me. Words of affirmation. I must confess, I still believe. Quality time. When I'm not with you, I lose my mind. Gift giving. Give me a sign. Acts of service. Hit me, baby, one more time. I think that that's the perfect way to provide examples for the five different types of love language. Brittany's the five different love languages. She's, she's done it again. A Yet she's a, she's a beacon. Physical touch, words of affirmation, quality time, gift giving, acts of service. Let's get in it. Let's get to it. I'm opening the notebook, mm-hmm. flipping to the first page. Can we, before we get deep in, yeah. Can we talk about Glennon and Abby's fight at the beginning? Uh, yeah, I actually have so, notes on that as well. So here's my takeaway I just think it speaks a lot about the two of them that, okay, so the, the premise was, that Glennon was asking sister, how are you doing? Um, and Abby said, oh, it's always about sister. So sarcastically, right. not actually meaning any ill intent, but Glennon was like, what? Why do you feel that way? Why did you say that? And then Abby said, no, I was just joking. And that launched whatever. I don't even know. A fight doesn't even feel like the right word. A disagreement. I don't I don't know. Oh. At the end of the episode, they it seemed like there was still a lot of feelings, a little, a, little a lot yeah. of feelings that were still there. But I just feel like how many couples would even stop to analyze that? Like, yeah, if your partner is like, "Oh, it's always about this person," I think a lot of people would just eye roll, move on. Like it wouldn't even occur to them to stop and really spend time on that. But I feel like that just says so much about the two of them and their relationship. That like everything that gets said is worth considering. Yeah. And it and how much Glennon cares about Abby. Yeah. Yeah. I am also going to say though, this actually ties in really well with with what we were saying earlier with the Brandon Collinsworth quote about not saying even in jest, not even joking, saying bad things about yourself. Abby was joking. Glennon was like, no, the jokes come from a place of seriousness. Mm -hmm. The jokes come from a place of truth. That's what makes them funny. Mm -hmm. And wondering if there's like a little bit of, (coughs) just wondering if there's like some communication around like, is this something that you really are worried about? Is this something that, because I know a lot of times in relationships that I've had, when something like that comes up, I'm already feeling guilty mm-hmm. about or self-conscious or whatever about whatever the other person said. So, and I just love that they're so transparent mm-hmm. about their relationship and the way that they're just two people working on their shit, just like everybody else. Yeah. And it's like, no, we don't just do offhanded throwaway comments. Right. No, you're not going to get away with that. Not here. (laughs) Not in this house. We're going to dissect it. We're going to talk about it. We're going to communicate. Yeah. So thank you for modeling that for us. Mm -hmm. I um, am also presenting a mutual stardust moment of the week. In that she mentions Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette. Mm-hmm. I don't really remember the context at that point. But we went to see Alanis 
a few years ago at, for her Jagged Little Pill tour. And that is one of my favorite albums of all time. So there's some and more. Garbage was there. <gasps> Garbage was there. I fangirled so hard for Shirley Manson. You sure did. But it was, you were living your best life. Mm-hmm. It was beautiful. So then we got to hear from some listeners about what were their love languages. What did you think about the the initial batch of listener love languages? It made me think about my own. Mm-hmm. Which uh, are? So I, this is going to shock you, so <laughs> hang on to your seat and sleep. <gasps> what? <laughs> yeah, getting to sleep, being allowed to sleep without having to be woken up, which the kids are getting better and better about as they get older, but... Um, I'm very excited for the day when that wake-up call does not come <laughs> until I initiate it. So what you're saying is your love language is when somebody else gives you permission to rest? Mm. Yeah, maybe. Hmm. I don't know. That doesn't feel like it. It doesn't quite because you're, t- you're not asking permission. Uh-huh. You are asking that people just leave you alone. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Respect my sleep. Yes. There right. you go. Respecting your boundaries. I'm you feel not, the most yeah. loved when people respect your boundaries. I'm not asking anybody for it, but I am asking that you respect that I need it. Yeah. And I'm taking it. <laughs> I'm going to take it. <laughs> they talk about how the book was written in 1992 by Gary Chapman. And he was a conservative fundamentalist pastor. Yeah, I didn't know that. I think a lot of people didn't know that. I did not know that. I knew that it was popular within religious groups, but I didn't necessarily realize it was because of that specific reason. Mm-hmm. Though I'm not surprised. Um. I have written down, they talk about how successful good partners take the time. The premise of the book is that successful or good partners take the time to figure out how to express their love in a way that translates to the other person. It's like, it's like the kiddie pool of relationship communication. Yes. It's a good place to start, Mm -hmm. but you're not meant to stay there. It's not an all-encompassing, this is the way. Mm -hmm. And Glennon speaks a bit, and sister as well about how some of the literature that comes out of a lot of conservative Christian publishers is specifically angled at a specific agenda. Mm-hmm. And Glennon saying that this book was not meant to deepen relationships, but just to continue to push forward the heterosexual marriage agenda mm-hmm. and I don't think she's wrong no I don't think so either it's interesting because in my own experience with religion and indoctrination it's very much don't question mm-hmm. and she says that don't think these aren't dangerous these thoughts aren't dangerous and her, her talking about how one of her books got relabeled read with discernment, read with discernment and how they're essentially just telling you which books you do and don't have to think about. Mm -hmm. And that is a lot of my experience as well and how dangerous that type of thinking is. Anything else you would like to say about that? Um, No, not on that specifically. I want to talk at some point about, because I'm still very much in the honeymoon phase of the Enneagram. Oh, yes. And this made me think like, Hey, is the Enneagram any different than the love languages? Yes. And I feel like it is, but like I said, the Enneagram is not inherently religious. I'm also just, like I said, still in the honeymoon phase of the Enneagram. So the Enneagram is not rooted in any specific religion. Well, and I don't know if this is in any official documentation about the Enneagram, but I've heard people say, like, the Enneagram is not meant to be something that you um, necessarily define yourself over long periods of time. You should keep taking the quiz. It can change over time. It's dynamic. Yes, dynamic. Um, 
which I think kind of separates it from the love languages. Yes. But I don't know. It made me discerning mm-hmm. about the Enneagram because I have invested lately a lot of, I just, I, I have given it a lot of weight recently mm-hmm. and it made me stop just for a minute and think, okay, I should pull back from this just a little and think about it a little bit more. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. I think that that's very well balanced and that's very prudent of you to mm-hmm. use your discernment and go, wait a minute, am I just buying into this because it sums everything up very neatly in a nice little package with a bow or are there ways that this could improve or is this one tool in a toolbox of many ways to understand interpersonal relationships? Am I using it to eliminate the nuance of Mm. actually understanding other people or myself? Oversimplifying. Mm -hmm. I will say that even though the five love languages came out of a specific background a broken clock is right twice a day mm-hmm. that's two things can be true yeah it could be maybe it started out as something meant to keep men and women locked in a cycle but he stumbled upon some truth there he did and that resonated with a lot of people um Let's talk about the physical touch yeah. aspect. Yeah. There's definitely, when you get into these love languages, you arrive at an impasse with some of them. Mm-hmm. And again, in my experience, all things physical and sexual are heavily slanted in favor of men with the burden being on women. And just like we talked about last week, that hurts both women and men. Mm-hmm. Apparently there's a a portion of the book where he talks about a wife just needing to do it, just given just do the physical tux, touch cuz that's the only way he feels love. Just do it. And that kind of that was 1992, so it was a hot minute ago. But how much that just perfectly defines the way that women are taught our value. I wonder if he ever talks about his own love language. I have questions. I want to know. If you could go read the book. No. <laughs> <laughs> I won't do that. I think it's a struggle. And I don't think it's something that's going to shock anyone that's listening to this podcast that women and our sexuality are complicated history. I just think that. It's important to point out that statements like this are the ways that we keep rooted in these cycles of dysfunction rather than exploring the greater truth. I think it's also interesting that they pointed out that this none of this was based on research. There was no he didn't do any there was no research study, there was no hypothesis formed. That really surprised me. Yeah, I know. It is so widely known. And how did he strike on something so well Mm -hmm. although later on in the episode they do talk about how there are a couple other women who have done more research and have adapted additional love languages i think oh and one of those for me it was like ding 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 the shared values one yeah okay i have notes on that Mm -hmm. very much so when we get to there i'm definitely going to circle back on that um So let's look at these notes. She talks about the only way you can keep your family safe is by following these rules, not by genuinely knowing the other person, but by giving the appearance of intimacy and automating it. The church wants you to stay scared. Well, I've got news for the church. I was already scared. (laughs) (laughs) You're too late. (laughs) Joke's on you, sucker. I do. um, I think that that is really starts to sum it up, though, of why sometimes they can these love languages can fall short because it's the appearance of intimacy. It's not actual intimacy. It's not genuinely meant to to teach you how to genuinely know your partner. 
and understand the why behind their love languages, but to automate it, give you a formula, and there you go. Now you don't have to think about that. You can spend your energy on the things that we tell you mm-hmm. is more important instead of actually genuinely knowing your people. Because if you start to know people and you start to think about why this is important to them or why this is important to me, then you can start to think about, well, wait a minute. What kind of fucked up thing happened to me, the Meg? Or like, you know, now that I think about it, yeah, that doesn't make sense or whatever. And that obviously is dangerous for people who want to keep us rooted in specific cycles and ideologies. Anything else you want to say about that? I'm just wondering, and I mean, this is unknowable, but I wonder as he was writing it, if that agenda was even something that he was conscious of. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Um, Or if it just leaked in. You know, I've talked about this with one of my closest friends who is very closely involved in that dynamic still. I think it's a little both. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's not, it's probably mostly subconscious. It's probably mostly, this is just what I believe because it's easier. It's, it's just like, it's easier to stay sick. It's easier to just not have that kind of self-reflection and go, this is what my mom taught me. And this is what my grandma taught my mom. This is my grandpa taught my dad. This is what my dad taught me. This is what my family has believed. This has been our family's belief system for generations. And examining that and opening yourself up to the possibility that they were wrong. Mm-hmm. Or that it wasn't quite as easily said and done. That takes a lot of effort and energy. And it's sometimes it's just easier to stay sick. Or it's easier to stay ignorant to the truth of the things that we're saying. I also wonder, and this is something that I could have looked up and didn't, <laughs> but I, I wonder, I mean, this was originally, it came out in 1992. Mm. I wonder if it's evolved at all since then. Well, yeah, I think she talks about that later on in the episode about, but I mean, I wonder if he, Oh, if he has, yeah. Like I when know we know better, we do better. People, yeah. I wonder if I know that other people have taken the concept and sort of branched in different directions with it. But I wonder if he himself has come back to it and said, you know, I didn't quite get it right with this thing or that thing. Again, with the generosity, Emily, that is just so, I love that about you. Well, I have to believe that people are good in order to do anything. Have a desire to live. Yes. 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 Self-preservation. Valid. Um, I think it, one of the the things that someone said was, I don't deserve to be treated well if I'm not satisfying my partner's needs, all of them. Mm-hmm. And how that, then I have written in all caps, bolded, codependent. Mm-hmm. I may or may not have my own experiences with codependence within relationships that has taken me some therapy sessions to work on. It is actively something that I work on. Which is fantastic. Thank Good you. Good for you. Thank you. Thank you so much. But this is this is where it comes from. This is part of where it comes from is in order to have value, I have to show you that I can take care of you mm-hmm. so that you will take care of me. And that is such a toxic cycle. We talked about this a little bit earlier. Spoiler alert. We tried about four different times to record this episode and were interrupted by multiple things, by kids, by tech issues. Smoke. Smoke. <laughs> Everything's fine. Um, but we talked about how it was when we were discussing why it's so hard for women to find their fun. Right. And how even in childhood, like the the gifts that are traditionally considered quote unquote boy toys and girl toys all of the girl toys are about how you care for someone else, mm-hmm. a little kitchen, a doll. These are all ways that you prepare for your role as the nurturer and the caregiver and the selfless one. Right. This is your fun. Mm-hmm. Your fun is taking care of people. Mm-hmm. 
Isn't it fun? Don't you just love it? Mm. That it worked on me though, because I, t- I said this earlier <laughs> when you were talking about cleaning tomorrow, I was like, Oh, that sounds actually so much fun. But you know what? I think it, it can also me. be, is it that you're taking care of other people or is it that you're taking care of yourself? Yeah. And you're getting rid of things that no longer serve you. Yeah. I mean, on, on my best day, it's that. <laughs> on my worst day, it's, dear God, I need control over something. And this is something that I can have control over. It's better that than other things. Mm-hmm. That's true. I think that's actually a healthy form of control to a degree. To a degree. Within balance mm-hmm. as all things. I like that. I believe it was Abby said, didn't know that this was going to be super gaudy, as in G-O-D-Y. And he, they still wanted to pull out the goodness. Two mm-hmm. things can be true. Mm-hmm. I love that. So I think it's at this point that sister says, oh, they, they go back and forth about this, how it's a behavior plan versus an emotional plan. And at one point, um, sister says, this is a behavior plan. I want to clarify something. This is a bad behavior plan, a poorly written behavior plan. This is a superficial behavior plan. And there are plenty of people who operate within that realm. And that does still work. How effectively? Mm -hmm. Because when you're writing a behavior plan, you have your target behavior. You have your response. You have your proactive strategies to keep the the things from happening to begin with. You have the reactive strategies. How do I change the way that I respond to this person in order to change their behavior? But if you don't get the why underneath why that behavior is happening, you are never going to see any successful behavior change. You are not going to see long-term behavior change or significant change. It's cognitive behavioral therapy. It's the the triad. It's Speak your more actions. On that influence your thoughts, your thoughts influence your feelings, your feelings influence your actions. Like it's all cyclical and you have to start somewhere. So sometimes the place to start is with your actions, but just like the kiddie pool, you're not meant to just stay there. Right. It's a starting point. It's not a beginning and an end. And I talk about this anytime I do a behavior plan training and I always love to use this example and I think it just works on so many levels that within the behavior world, there are beautiful children Speaking out of there. Behavior. <laughs> um, within the behavior world, when we are working on a target behavior, we need to eliminate all of the other variables and we need to make sure that we've eliminated any medical reason why this behavior is occurring before we try to behavior plan something. Because you can put all of the behavior plans, the best strategies in place, the b- most brilliant connections. And it won't work if it's medical because you're still you're not getting to the root cause of the issue. And the example I like to use was given to me by um, my friend who got me into the ABA world. She was a therapist, an ABA therapist for a kiddo who was I think he was uh, like 16 or 17 at the time, maybe maybe a little younger than that. And he just he was nonverbal or in that he didn't use vocal language to communicate. And he started biting people. He would just grab their fingers and bite. Came up with a behavior plan and it just didn't get any better and they couldn't figure out why until he went to the dentist and his wisdom teeth were coming in. He had no way of communicating that to anyone other than biting their fingers to say, this hurts. What kind of things did they put on a behavior plan to address that? I'm just curious. Like, Yeah, for so like a biting behavior plan, it, it depends on the function, the four mm-hmm. functions of behavior. But if they think that, and this requires you to draw the right conclusion. And yes, I think if you think it's, an, if, if they were thinking it was an escape-maintained behavior because he was trying to escape a task or an assignment or something that he didn't want to do mm-hmm. or did they think it was attention maintained well really it, it those are both the same that those those functions are correct but it's not for the right reasons mm-hmm. yes it was escape maintained it was trying to escape the pain mm-hmm. yes it was attention maintained in that 
he was trying to get attention to get away from the pain. Mm -hmm. It wasn't about, I want your attention because I'm bored or I just don't like doing this one task. And I don't know that that, that's what they thought that the behavior was about. I mean, sometimes it might be self-stimulatory. And so you might do something like get a a chew necklace or something. Was it just a coincidence that they eventually took him to the dentist or did somebody find I think it was a routine check. Uh It just was a routine check. Uh You can't behavior plan away things that are medical. Right. And if you're not finding the the root cause of the issue, whether it's medical, like your wisdom teeth coming in or a thyroid disorder or a neurotransmitter imbalance or trauma related, mm-hmm. attachment related, whatever your childhood wounding was, if you don't get to the root cause of it, you're never going to have real change. Mm-hmm. It's the illusion of change. It's the illusion of behavior. And there are behavior plans. I like to think mine, (laughs) but there are behavior plans out there that do go deeper. Do ask the deeper questions of, okay, so why does this person engage in this behavior? What is it about this specific activity that feels so unsafe to them? And I think that's another theme that we see here is safety. And these rules, these rules, these love languages, all coming back down to safety and how do we feel safe? And what ways can the people that we love make us feel safe? And in what ways can we make them feel safe? Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to point out, yes, it's a behavior plan. It's just a poorly written one. Right. And I think that's really the overarching theme of this episode was that it you can't just scratch the surface with it. Mm-hmm. You have to use it to go deeper and and analyze and be curious and ask questions about it. There's something happening under the thing in your daily life. I think it was Glennon that said that. Maybe that's, I haven't thought this all the way through yet, but maybe that is the difference for me between the love languages and the Enneagram is that the love languages, or at least the way that I've always internalized them, is they are more about centering your attention on and what your partner needs, Mm -hmm. which is not an inherently bad thing to do, but it's always hard when you're trying to control outcomes outside of yourself. Right. And by hard, you mean impossible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but the Enneagram, I feel like is more designed to help you understand yourself. Yes. I'm a huge fan of the Enneagram. I love the Enneagram. I there's a really great book called Millenniagram mm-hmm. where the author I think her name's Hannah Page maybe um I might have just totally messed that up I'm going to have to find that and and repair she does a great job of she relabels the enneagram types to more like relatable names but it's also it's very funny book too mm-hmm. And um, I really enjoyed the way that she described each Enneagram type. And then there was another book that I also found incredibly helpful and insightful called The Path Between Us. And that was uh, written by a lady and published by a Christian publisher. And so it, it does lean a little more towards the religious side, but it was how the different Enneagram types relate to each other, mm-hmm. that interpersonal. And I thought that that was just really helpful in understanding myself versus the other people in my life, um, my relationship at the time, and how that might cause some communication issues or some misunderstandings between us because what I'm thinking they mean is not what they mean. And it addresses things the Enneagram does, like your your core fear your quantum fear yeah i think it's a sister would call it yes like it talks about what drives these different behaviors which is what's missing from the love languages i correct me if i'm wrong but it is based your enneagram type is based on your childhood trauma we're talking small t trauma and the definition of trauma being anything that overwhelms your 
emotions, your brain to the point where it doesn't know how to respond and sends it into that fight or flight or freeze fawn response. Your Enneagram types is determined by your childhood trauma or as, wounding. As with all things. <laughs> and all things to, it, to be and all things will be about attachment. <laughs> but yeah, I think that that's, that is one thing way that the Enneagram does vary from this a little bit because it does encourage that introspection and it does encourage that getting deeper and digging deeper and getting down to the thing below the thing. Yeah. Okay, good. I can give myself permission Take a deep still breath. to love yes. the Enneagram. I was worried for a minute. I wrote this quote down. There can be a fundamental misalignment between how two people in a relationship feel and communicate love. They're both loving, but completely missing the mark. And if that's not the goddamn truth, I think that is that is every relationship issue is can be probably traced back to this fundamental misalignment between two people in a relationship and how they feel and communicate love. It's so funny though to know that, but when you're in it, you can't see it Mm -mm. like it's a hand right in front of your face. (laughs) I mean, when she was describing how two people are trying to accomplish the same goal in widely different ways, but they are trying to accomplish the same goal. They're trying to love each other well. They're doing it in two totally different ways. And when you're in it, it doesn't feel like we're both trying to accomplish the same thing. It feels like you are somewhere way out there and I'm all the way over here and we're not even on the same page. We're not on the same team. Mm -hmm. We're not really on the same team. And this comes to another theme that I have found throughout this is trust. Mm -hmm. It comes back to trust. I don't trust you that what you want and what I want are the same thing. Or I don't trust that you're as invested in this relationship as I am. Generosity. Mm, Yes. Generosity. Mm -hmm. I also really thought it was, it really struck a chord with me. Sometimes I might do something because I love you and I want to show you that. And you can receive it as something less, but because you love me, you're running away from it, which I receive Mm -hmm. as less. And how I think that they were talking about conflict. I think it was Amanda was talking about Mm -hmm. conflict and how conflict avoidant is a safe space for one party, but conflict initiation and getting through it. And then they, she echoes, Glennon echoes this later on with Abby. That's something that sometimes misaligns within them as well. And how just that misinterpretation of, I'm assuming that you're doing this because you don't love me, but you're really doing it because you do love me. Mm-hmm. And how, how much simpler would our lives be if we just actually said that thing? If we just actually communicated that? What a novel concept. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, Is that the doorway to talk about the shared values? It can be. I would really i'm just dying to talk about those shared values because hearing her say that i had a visceral response like she says to just that idea of sitting with someone in conversation about something that lights you up and knowing that they know exactly what you're talking about being seen yes Mm -hmm. yeah i think I have some complicated feelings about that Mm -hmm. as that being a love language that we have shared values because that can be a slippery slope to an echo chamber. And like we said, we've said before, not all relationships should be hard work Mm -hmm. all the time, a struggle. No relationship should be a struggle all the time, but I have come to value the whole iron sharpens iron sort of dynamic in that little bit of pushback sometimes of going, okay, well, is this the thing that you really, do you really believe that? Mm -hmm. Or where did that idea come from? And why do you believe that? 
And sometimes I think shared values, again, it's a slippery slope, but then it comes back to trust. It comes back to trust in yourself. It comes back to trust in the person that you're with. Mm-hmm. And I also have written down that visceral reaction. Whose responsibility is it to manage that? Because I think sometimes <laughs> uh, we put that on the other person. I saw, uh, it was either an Instagram reel or something. It was a, a video that was like, uh, of talking about a comedian who was like, we all know what our problems are, but we don't actually do the work to solve them. It's like, oh yeah, I have anxiety. Okay, so are you working on that? Oh no, I just told you so you can work around it. Mm. That's That's not how it works. Mm-hmm. And when we have that visceral reaction, something that someone says, we can communicate our boundaries and say, hey, this is making me feel a little weird or I don't feel real safe right now or whatever. But at the end of the day, we are the ones that have to manage that visceral reaction, Mm -hmm. not our partners. But I'm not saying that that's what they were saying. I just offering the counterpoint, the balance. Well, like we were saying, anytime that you are counting on something outside of yourself to happen to solve a problem, you you may be barking up the wrong tree because you don't have control over any of the things that happen outside of you. Right. I think that's a pretty good segue into one major thought I had about a lot of these love languages and the examples that people gave. It involved a lot of reading my mind. Mm Acts of service, words of affirmation, a lot of people saying, like, I want to be, I like being surprised. I want you to bring me coffee in the morning, specifically coffee. If it's not coffee, I don't want toast that I didn't ask for. I want coffee. Mm -hmm. That puts a lot of emotional labor on the other person to read your mind. I have to think that that person has communicated. I'm sure that they have. (laughs) I'm sure that they have. But I, 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 I'm going to be kind of stubborn about this being a pitfall of the love languages is that I think we can use it as an excuse to say, well, if you really loved me, you would just know what I needed. Mm-hmm. And sp- especially for women who weren't, gr- weren't taught, didn't grow up being told that it was okay to ask for what we want. You know what we did grow up with? The idea that your person will just know. Yes. The right person. Mother knows best. Will just know what mm-hmm. you want. And I and if feel they loved. Don't just know automatically, then it's not right. Right. Like, that's because what that's we, what moms do, right? Like, mm-hmm. and, and dads, they come in, they know you so well, and they know when you need something, and they know before you even know. And even just like fairy tales that we grow up with, and just all of those things, like, the right person will just know all of your needs and you don't even have to say anything and everything will work out exactly right and it doesn't require any work. Or uncomfortable conversations. Mm-hmm. God, how convenient mm-hmm. is that? Yeah. Except that's not real life, is it? And um, I think another pitfall sometimes of romanticizing things like love languages is that it puts a lot of pressure on the gesture or the act to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, words of affirmation mean nothing if you don't if they don't reflect that you know me, which is true. Anyone could say I love you and they don't mean it, mm-hmm. but it doesn't negate the fact that hearing I love you is still important to some people. But also. You could say, gosh, I love how good of a cook you are, Emily. Nobody would ever say that. Emily married a chef. <laughs> Emily doesn't cook. I'm sure it's not because she's a bad cook. I'm sure it's just because I mean, we'll never know. she doesn't have to. So why bother? The world may never know. But if you don't genuinely know me, all of those empty words mean nothing. But. 
they don't have to be the most perfect words ever spoken either. Do words ever mean nothing? Isn't that what we were just talking about? Right. Opened with that. Right. And I think that sometimes people who aren't comfortable in that language primarily can then become intimidated and say, well, I can't do this perfectly. I don't know how to come up with the perfect compliment. Mm -hmm. So I'm just not going to do it at all, which is also defeatist and and copping out. I think what I'm saying is not everything has to be a grand gesture. Mm -hmm. And we can feel loved in the small moments. And, and in recognizing that the other person is making themselves a little uncomfortable for us. Mm-hmm. And maybe they don't always hit the mark right on the spot, but they're trying. Right. And not that we should be pacified with mediocrity either. Like, oh, well, at least he doesn't call me stupid. Like, stuff like that. Like, that's not what, I, what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But having that generosity towards our partner and and recognizing like you're doing your best. It also was interesting to me when Glennon said, I like a surprise. I just want to help plan it. (laughs) If I trust you enough Mm -hmm. that that you're planning something for me that I can let go of the control of it, that is love. Mm-hmm. Control is not something that a lot of us are easily able to give up. Especially the deeper our wounding, mm-hmm. the harder it is. And it, the harder it is to even recognize that that's a thing that we're doing. But it just reiterated the whole trust thing for me. And like I said earlier, safety in a relationship, I think, is very parallel to love. Mm-hmm. When you feel safe in a relationship, when you feel seen, connected, understood, I do feel super loved when someone says, that is so you. Mm-hmm. And it's legitimately. Mm-hmm. Or when someone can anticipate what it is that I'm going to say, that does make me feel loved because it, there's somebody listening to me. But it's my responsibility to go in and go, why is that important <laughs> to me? Why is that a value to me? And also then do that for my partner. Mm -hmm. If I know that gifts are your, gift giving is your love language, why is that? And there was a a TikTok that I had seen that was talking about, tell me your childhood trauma without telling me your childhood trauma. And it was like, oh, acts of service is your your love language. Tell me how you could only rely on yourself as a child. Mm -hmm. Oh, gift giving is your love language? Tell me how you never got anything on your Christmas list as a child. Stuff like that. And I thought that that was really helpful in the helpfulness of this tool, Mm -hmm. these love languages. Gift giving is also, both of those are such an easy thing to do when you are not comfortable with language expression. Yes. Feeling, you know? Yep. You know, there was something she talked about. That and um, physical touch and that being a form of intimacy for people who aren't communicators. Mm -hmm. And that made me think of how, you know, physical touch is so stereotypically a a man's love language, major love language, which not in my experience. But because men aren't allowed to talk Mm -hmm. men aren't encouraged to talk and the misinterpretation of all you want to do is have sex and not just recognizing that for them it could be because they don't have the words Mm -hmm. now that's their responsibility to acknowledge that and recognize that and say if i want to be a better partner then i need to work on getting the words And this actually is perfect transition. I will make it quick. But Amanda references a study where um, it actually showed that the couple's alignment of love languages, whether or not they had the same values in love languages, was not – there was no correlation between that and the success or the satisfaction with the relationship. I don't know why there would be any assumption around – that there would be. Oh, that was the premise of the book. 
that if you have the same love language, you should you should be looking for a partner who has the same love languages as you. Yeah, that just seems like it's a misfire right out the gate <laughs> to me. So this is a study that was done by Selena Bunt and Zoe Hazelwood from the Queensland University of Technology in Brisbane, Australia. This was conducted in 2017. And their findings were that there was no, as mentioned before, there not only was there no correlation between alignment of love languages and relationship satisfaction, but that also when it comes to satisfaction in relationship, it was more important that more than their love languages being aligned that this and this was a study of heterosexual couples that when female self-regulation was utilized there was a higher rate of relationship satisfaction and that correlation was not found in male self-regulation so the male Yes, I can. One of the secondary hypotheses, hypotheses of this study was to explore if self-regulation behaviors impact any association found between love language misalignment and relationship satisfaction. So your ability to self-regulate your own feelings, if that has an impact when there is a love language misalignment, does it help your increase your satisfaction? How do you know that what you are seeing that looks like self-regulation is actually healthy self-regulation? Well, according to this study, um, they used the 16-item behavioral self-regulation for effective relationship scales to assess each partner's self-regulation. I'm quoting straight from the paper. Participants rate the extent to which each statement is true for their own behavior in a relationship scale on a Likert scale, five points. Not true at all or very true for statements such as, I adjust my goals or strategies for personal change in the light of feedback from my partner. The scores had a two-factor structure of strategies, relationship self-change behaviors, and effort or persistence in change efforts. And the current study has a strong scale reliability. So they used to scale. And for what they're talking about with self-regulation is both is basic what I'm interpreting this as as how self aware are you mm-hmm. of your values and their values and if our values don't line up how aware of that are you mm-hmm. and at first when I saw this that you know it was only correlated to women having higher rates of self regulation I thought well of course women do the emotional labor but then as I started digging into it it really isn't saying that. Because men with the same level of self-regulation, it it didn't correspond to the relationship satisfaction. And I am chewing on this as a humbling sort of challenge that we can't blame everything on men. (laughs) I want to read the one again that you, the example that you said, where it was like, I adjust my something according yes. to my partner's feedback. I don't know. Statements such as I adjust my goals or strategies for personal change in light of the feedback from my partner. That's just one of style, one of many questions. But to me, that also kind of sounds like generosity and teamwork. It's all in how you read it, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. This is why these things are just tricky for me. Yeah, I mean, and and if you we can look more into the sixteen item scale and and get more examples of statements, but I think that what this is saying, I don't know. To me, the message that I got for myself personally is that Annalise, you have to be generous. Mm-hmm. You have to acknowledge not everything is going to go the way that I want it to go. Not everything is going to be about what's Annalise's love language. 
what does she want to do? And if you really loved me, you would do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. It's, it's 50, 50, it's same team. It's, I thought that that was interesting though, that it had a more significant correlation when women were, had higher rates of self-regulation. I don't really the higher rate of self-regulation is that she rated higher on the, I adjust my goals according to feedback from my partner. You know what? I think we should do a little deeper dive into this Mm -hmm. and maybe do a little part two. Because I mean, there are things, there are times that that could be true in a healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. There are times when that can be true in an unhealthy relationship. And Who's to say which one it is? Do you know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. I also wonder if some of this is especially difficult conceptually because it's an Australian study. Mm. And so their lang- their language and their phrasing and, and some of their their philosophies are going to... Don't worry. I watch a lot of Louis. So oh, okay. Well, then never mind. I will, this is second language. Never me. mind. You know, we are at one hour and seven minutes. So I think that let's put a bow in that. Mm-hmm. A bow? A pin. We could put a pin with a bow on it. Yeah. Maybe we'll do some more thinking about that. If anybody out there ha- has any experience with these sorts of studies or scales or has any thoughts on what self-regulation and satisfaction in relationships would look like, hit us up. Shoot us a message. Send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Emily, any final thoughts before we go? I'm just glad that I can still, that the Enneagram <laughs> and I can still ride off into the sunset together. It is a true match made in heaven. Emily <laughs> and the Enneagram. The Emmyagram. Mm. Mm-hmm. I did that. You did that. I did that. You did that thing. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. This has been We Can Do Pod Things, where we talk about things from Glennon Doyle's podcast, We Can Do Hard Things. They are She is fantastic, and her whole team, Abby and her sister and everyone else that contributes to it, we love them so much, and they make us stop and think about everything mm-hmm. in a great, in a good way. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for listening. I'm Annalise. I'm Emily. We hope you come back next week. Bye.